You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The crackdown on money laundering enters phase two starting today. The illegal activity was exposed at casinos, but there's lots of speculation it's going on in real estate, horse racing, and the luxury car market, too. John Waugh explains what's at stake as the province's fact-finding mission begins. Dirty money is on the move. Cashing out of BC casinos. And possibly making itself right at home in the real estate market, racetracks, even luxury purchases. We do not believe that this is the end of the story. We know the money has gone somewhere. And when it comes to getting to the bottom of the money laundering problem in British Columbia, Attorney General David Eby is doubling down on a familiar formula. I have asked Dr. German to conduct a fact-finding follow-up on the red flags of money laundering activity he identified in his original review. But some have argued German's report on money laundering in BC casinos didn't go far enough. And future reviews need to find whoever is at fault and hold them responsible. I don't think fact-finding is enough. We have to have some investigations into what actually transpired. We've seen from the casino story that this is a gift that keeps on giving. Global News also learned German serves on the Richmond Oval Board of Directors with Walter Sue, an executive at Great Canadian. The two decided not to discuss matters at board meetings. As soon as I was appointed, uh, he uh, made it very clear that we should... Uh, you know, not uh, he didn't want to confuse the, the two issues, and so I didn't. German, who did not interview Sue at all but spoke to his superiors, said there is no conflict. In addition, the Ministry of the Attorney General has confirmed German was also hired in 2016 to conduct an external review for the BC Lottery Corporation and Gaming Policy and Enforcement Branch, two entities that would later become the focus of his report. With respect, we would recommend that the government go outside of British Columbia find a firm that has no contacts or no connections with any of these people in order to make sure that, in essence, it's double-blind. It wasn't a conflict. It was why we hired him. We needed that advice from someone who is expert in the systems in B.C. The second phase will include the Ministry of Finance and an expert panel looking for loopholes in the real estate system. The possible forfeiture of properties will also be explored. The second German report is due on March 29th next year. John Hua, Global News. A heart-wrenching appeal for information tonight from the family of a missing Abbotsford woman. It's been one year since Christina Ward went missing, and today her family put up a billboard in Surrey where she was last seen. Ward, who is 21 years old, has diminished mental capacity and also needs special medication to avoid seizures. Langley RCMP also releasing new video today that shows Ward walking with a man with a bike two days before she vanished. It's tearing us apart. We don't have answers. We don't know where our little girl is. Christina, if you are listening to this, just give us a call and say that you're, you're okay. And if, if you want to come back home, we'll bring you back home. Absolutely. But just phone us. Despite dozens of tips, RCMP say they still haven't identified the man in the video. Anyone with information about Ward or the man she was with, please contact Langley RCMP or Crime Stoppers. Day four of the murder trial for a man accused in the death of Japanese student Natsumi Kogawa. Kogawa's body was found in a suitcase on the grounds of the Gabriola Mansion in Vancouver's West End. Today, the brother of the man accused, William Schneider, took the stand. 
Our Nadia Stewart was there and has more on what he told the jury in court. The older brother of a man facing charges in the 2016 death of Natsumi Kagawa took to the stand today, telling the jury he feared the worst when he saw a photo of his brother alongside the missing woman in an article about her disappearance. Warren Schneider fielded questions from the Crown. On September 27th, Warren said he received a call from one of his daughters. She sent him a photo asking her father, is this Willie, referring to her uncle William Schneider, the accused in this case. Warren said he recognized his brother. He also testified that he remembers seeing the title Missing Japanese Student. He said he looked at it and thought, quote, the worst. He called his brother William, who was staying at his father's house in Vernon at the time. He told him, quote, there's a photo on the internet of you and a missing Japanese student. Warren said his brother then hung up the phone. Warren says William eventually told him he went on three dates with Natsumi Kagawa and that some medication was taken on the third and final date by both of them. Warren testified his brother attempted to commit suicide by consuming heroin and vodka, but not before allegedly telling his brother a body could be found near Nicola and Davy and making mention of a construction site. Quote, he told me where she was laying and after he kills himself to tell police, Warren told the jury. Warren later spoke to reporters expressing how difficult this has been for his family. It's been hard for a lot of people for the past two years, not just my family, but the Natsumi Kagawa's family and friends and yeah everybody loses today's proceedings wrapped up early the trial continues in vancouver friday morning back to you all right thanks nadia multiple charges have now been laid in a fatal motor vehicle accident from last march surrey rcmp responded to a report of a serious crash at 72nd avenue and 152nd street where a gmc safari van collided with a suzuki swift the female driver of the Swift was pronounced dead at the scene. Around the same time, police received additional reports of separate hit-and-run collisions all along 72nd Avenue involving the same GMC van. Earlier this week, 69-year-old Iqbal Singh Sidhu of Surrey was arrested and charged with a total of 15 counts, including manslaughter, impaired driving causing death, impaired driving causing bodily injury, and failure to stop at the scene of an accident. Less than a month ago until municipal elections and three lower mainland mayoral candidates are under review for questionable conduct. The Law Society of B.C. investigating candidates in West Vancouver, Pitt Meadows and Richmond. Catherine Urquhart has more on the allegations and how the candidates are reacting. Mark Sager hopes to be West Vancouver's mayor again. He held that position back in the 1990s. He's a well-known lawyer, now defending himself with the Law Society of BC. This has been an incredibly unpleasant thing to go through. Sager faces a citation for possible professional misconduct following a complaint to the Law Society. It's alleged he accepted gifts totaling $100,000 from a client. Sager says she was a longtime family friend. I had helped this individual with a number of uh, legal issues because of our 55-year relationship, a bond as close as I've had with only my mother and my father. Uh, I didn't ever c contemplate that she was a client. I never billed her anything. I'm going to ask you all... The Law Society is also looking at complaints against Pitt Meadows Mayor John Becker, also a lawyer. They're reviewing allegations of misappropriation of client trust funds failing to deliver a bill and other professional misconduct. In due course.
course. There'll be a, a hearing panel. Um, I will be providing evidence. I'm very confident that when the process unfolds that uh, I'll be exonerated in full. Richmond mayoral hopeful Hong Guo is facing a citation from the Law Society about how millions of dollars went missing from her company's trust account. The real estate lawyer was unavailable for an interview. It is going to put voters in a difficult position and there's no getting around that because these cases likely won't come to conclusion before, uh, before the vote happens. Even so, at least one of the candidates remains positive about the upcoming election. I trust the people of West Vancouver, and I think they will see through uh, this completely. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. All signs are pointing to yes for a $40 billion LNG project in Kitimat. The final decision is expected as early as next week. And as Ted Chernecki reports, if it's green-lighted, it'll be the largest private infrastructure investment in B.C. history. As we fly over the site, you see four LNG processing units. Also, A flight in virtual LNG reality might soon be simply reality. There are widely circulating rumors that LNG Canada is about to announce next week its decision on that $40 billion LNG terminal in Kitimat. The Premier was asked yesterday if he'd heard anything about it, and all he would say is that if it does get the green light, it's because of the NDP. Treating uh, LNG like any other investor, whether you're coming uh, to invest in the forest industry, in the mining industry, we want to treat everybody exactly the same. The B.C. Liberals kept piling on costs onto an industry that had not yet even been established in British Columbia. Mike Bernier, there well, he is. Christy Clark might take issue with that since LNG was something she lived and breathed when she was B.C.'s Liberal Premier. We're very good at natural gas development here in British Columbia. And a former global reporter who went on to be the spokesperson for LNG before he himself was elected as a Liberal MLA definitely takes issue. Every day at the BC LNG Alliance, my job was to fight the NDP's misinformation and their environmental proxies, pushing out essentially lies about the industry. So for them to come and say that uh, the Liberals couldn't get this past the finish line is absolutely ridiculous. Further wrapping up speculation was this week's meeting in New York between Prime Minister Trudeau and Shell's chief executive officer. These are big companies. Uh, Shell's one of the largest in the world. They're partners in China, Japan, Korea, and, and now Petronas. Uh, all are takers of gas. They have customers that need gas. Uh, so I think that makes it uh, an easier decision. Well, it will be a great day for British Columbia. But at the end of the day, I still want to see the details at the NDP and what, what they've given. I just want to make sure we've got the best deal for British Columbians and their resources. You're going to have probably one vessel coming and going. The world price of gas is seeing some small gains in recent years, indicating demand is also increasing. But today's price is still half that of its peak in 2014. Ted Global News. Another major investment, this one in the Lower Mainland, Amazon revealing plans for a huge distribution warehouse in Tawasin. The 450,000-square-foot facility will be part of a new 57-acre industrial park that's being built on First Nations land. The Tawasin First Nations signing a 60-year lease agreement. Amazon says when complete in 2019, it'll create 700 full-time jobs and be the 10th so-called fulfillment facility across the country. The gates at Goldstream Provincial Park remain closed to the public tonight. Homeless campers moved in last week after being moved from two former tent cities in Saanich. But they've been ordered out. Kylie Stanton spoke to many with the deadline fast approaching. And they're all hopeful they'll have a place to go. 
Uh, I was down here when they moved in. Many neighbors have been on edge ever since, wondering what exactly is going on behind this gate. It's always the unknown that's the worrying thing. But now the countdown is on. The campers who are self-described members of Namigan's Nation have been ordered to leave by October 2nd. It was indefinite, so we knew at some point it was coming. BC's Premier delivered the news Wednesday. I expect that we will have housing uh, or appropriate options for the people that are currently in the tent city. The deadline comes as the maximum stay in provincial parks expires, 14 days after the campers moved in amid some major backlash. I'm asking you, why are the police in my neighbourhood? It's not because of me. The park has since been closed to the public for overnight use during some of the last decent camping weather of the season. And like the sites they've previously called home, it will need remediation work before reopening. Yeah, I think that's frustrating for people, but, you know, the things that they've seen on the media about what happened in Regina Park, what happened across from the courthouse, I think their concerns were justified. The Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, Selena Robinson, issued this statement laying out the plan, saying BC Housing and outreach staff will be working to decamp the park and transition campers to shelter and housing. Transportation to housing and storage for personal belongings will be organized for the campers starting October 1st, 2018. We're kind of taking it step by step right now. But campers claim so far only two of its 33 members have been placed on a temporary basis and the options being offered don't meet their needs. And so where exactly is it? John Horgan and Stu Young and Richard Atwell, do you expect us to go? If they choose not to go, BC Parks, with the help of the RCMP, will evict the campers. Until then, they plan to fight. A rally to break the blockade and bring supporters into the campground while challenging the government to define its safety concerns is scheduled for this Saturday. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A popular skating rink is closed until further notice. South Vancouver's Sunset Ice Rink shut down due to a mechanical problem. During a routine inspection earlier this week, officials detected a problem with the refrigeration system, specifically the underfloor heat exchanger. Essentially, what's happened is we've had a malfunction with it, and, and it's so important because it provides heat beneath the brine, beneath the floor, that makes sure that the floor, the ground, stays warm enough and the ice doesn't heave. Officials say no one is at risk. There's been no ammonia leak. It's estimated the rink could be down for a few weeks to possibly even a few months. A unique pop-up park is opening in False Creek this weekend. Concord Pacific is behind a new three-acre green space located in northeast False Creek, between the company's presentation center and Science World. Locals and tourists can enjoy a number of amenities, including basketball and ball hockey courts, lawn space for picnics, beach volleyball, and even an edible garden. We used a kind of a pattern and a theme from Expo 86. So you'll see a little, if anyone was around then, um, you'll see a little bit of kind of um, reference back to Expo 86. One of the key things we do in Mont our master plan communities is parks, parks, and parks. So this is three acres right now. The final park when it's done will be closer to 13 acres in size. It's going to be a huge park. And that new permanent park is expected to be built after the viaducts come down. But first, a riveting high-stakes exchange of he said, she said in Washington, D.C. today. For more than eight hours, a Senate committee heard from Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh 
and Christine Blasey Ford, who accuses him of a high school sexual assault. In a day of ragged emotion, both the accuser and the nominee were in tears. Testimony you're about to give me. An emotional he said, she said. I thought that Brett was accidentally going to kill me. Playing out for the world to see. We mean, we mean no ill will. Christine Blasey Ford up first, describing an alleged sexual assault during a house party decades ago, identifying her attacker as Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. I believed he was going to rape me. I tried to yell for help. When I did, Brett put his hand over my mouth to stop me from yelling. She says Kavanaugh drunkenly attacked her as a friend watched. The uproarious laughter between the two and their having fun at my expense. Kavanaugh denying it all, at some points on the verge of tears, others defiant. I was not at the party described by Dr. Ford. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. And clashing with Democrats who urged him to push for an FBI investigation. I want to know what you want to do, Judge. I'm innocent. I'm innocent of this charge. Tensions on both sides reaching a boiling point. You're looking for a fair process? You came to the wrong town at the wrong time, my friend. Now it's up to senators to decide who to believe. Blaine Alexander, NBC News, Washington. And U.S. President Donald Trump wasted no time in showing how he feels, reaffirming his support for Kavanaugh via Twitter. Moments after the hearing ended, Trump tweeting, Judge Kavanaugh showed America exactly why I nominated him. His testimony was powerful, honest, and riveting. Democrats' search and destroy strategy is disgraceful, and this process has been a total sham. And some breaking news now on this story that just came in. Late word that the Senate Judiciary Committee has decided to go ahead with its confirmation vote tomorrow morning as scheduled although no one is saying for sure whether or not the Republicans have enough votes to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. Continued coverage, obviously, right here and on globalnews.ca. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're in the water. They're in the water. They're in the water. Look at the smoke billowing. Oh, this is heartbreaking. A dramatic rescue off the coast of Nanaimo after witnesses spotted a boat on fire and three people in the water. A coordinated rescue effort, including the Coast Guard, recovered all three and rushed them to hospital. There is no update on their condition at this point. The gutted boat was pushed ashore by the wind to a rocky area near Neck Point. Dozens of students were stung today while taking part in the Terry Fox run. 135 children from Dufferin Elementary in Kamloops were stung when one of them disturbed an underground nest. Paramedics were called. Thankfully, none of the students suffered serious reactions and classes resumed in the afternoon. The nest is being destroyed. None of the children that were known to be anaphylactic to the school had a reaction, but all the children were in the gym being observed after their incident. And while they were being observed, some of the other children had reactions and they have been taken to the hospital. Just days after the death of southern resident killer whale J-50, there are growing concerns about the health of another orca in this threatened pod. Linda Aylesworth tells us the main theory behind the declining health of the adult male known as K-25. 
There's no denying the devotion killer whale mothers have for their young. We witnessed it when J-35 carried her dead calf for 17 days, and again when J-15 stayed with her ailing daughter, J-50, until her tragic demise a few weeks ago. But it is the bond between mother and son that is particularly strong. They're really mama's boys. They're usually traveling with their mothers, as long as the mother's alive, and they are dependent on her to some extent, to a considerable extent really, to get enough to eat. Even when they're fully grown, up to five tons and nine meters long, that's 20% larger than females, the male size, where salmon-eating residents are concerned, works against them. They're not as agile uh, when it comes to chasing fish, for example, as they're, as they're as smaller females. That brings us to the plight of the southern resident orca known as K-25, who lost his mother, K-13, last year, and has been steadily losing weight ever since. We've seen this before with males after their mothers die. Sometimes they bounce back again, sometimes they don't. So he, it's really hard to know what will happen with him. It's usually up to the sisters to help their brothers when the mother dies, but that doesn't always work out. K-25's sister has other, uh, has other things to worry about. She's got her own calves and is pregnant. So she, you know, is naturally not going to be as devoted to, to feeding her brother. Also working against K-25 and the rest of the southern residents, for that matter. Their primary food source, the ever-struggling Fraser River Chinook salmon, are having a particularly poor year. This year, it... it uh, Despite those fisheries closures, there's still a shortage of fish for these whales, and that's, um, and that's discouraging. In good times, the prey-sharing culture among resident killer whales worked well, but clearly falls short when there's little to share. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Our story earlier this month about two Okanagan brothers who claimed to have captured the legendary Ogopogo on video appears to have started a trend. Kelowna's Bill Stasiak has spent years documenting the search for the legendary monster. He says this picture is among three more possible sightings reported on his website in just the past three weeks. There's a species in this lake. There's absolutely no question. The majority of sightings historically in Okanagan Lake happened between the last week in August and the first week in October. Stasiak says while he is a believer, he doesn't follow up on all sightings because sometimes they are just waves. A shocking move today by the Mexican government arresting and disarming the entire police force in Acapulco. The government claims the force has been deeply infiltrated by drug gangs. Mexican soldiers and state police surrounded the Acapulco police headquarters, taking 700 officers into custody. Even the police chief was arrested on suspicion of murder. Guns, ammunition, and radios were seized. State police have taken over for now. Local police in Mexico are paid very poorly and are easy prey for drug cartels, which pay them to obey gang leaders or threaten to kill them if they don't. More legal trouble for Elon Musk, with U.S. regulators now filing an official complaint against the Tesla CEO. Back in August, Musk claimed on Twitter that funding was secured to take the company private at $420 per share. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission says that was false and misleading, saying Musk had not discussed or confirmed key deal terms, including price, with any funding source. The SEC is asking for an order that prohibits Musk from making such statements, along with repayment of any gains, as well as civil penalties. 
Details are just emerging about a major fentanyl arrest in the Okanagan earlier this year. It happened in Kelowna, and it involved U.S. law authorities who say one man ran one of the largest fentanyl trafficking operations on the continent. Kelly Hayes has more about the unlikely dealer at the center of the investigation. His name was Robert Kiesling, a 40-year-old Okanagan college instructor who was living a double life as a drug dealer. But Kiesling was no ordinary street dealer. He was dealing fentanyl over the dark web. His handle on the dark web was Dugfish44, a.k.a. DF44. In September of 2017, RCMP tipped off the Americans about his suspicious activity. According to an affidavit, the U.S. authorities set up a sting operation, ordering several packages from Kiesling containing fentanyl and paid with bitcoins. He was selling a gram of fentanyl for up to $450 and boasted on the dark web that he had done more than 500 sales. Last January, RCMP followed Kiesling to the town center card shop on Bernard Avenue in Kelowna, where he was witnessed attempting to mail a white envelope to a Vancouver post office box, ultimately destined to the United States. He was arrested at the scene. On January 10th, RCMP searched his home in the Mission, where they found fentanyl and cash. A week later, Kiesling committed suicide in his hometown of Calgary. The authorities say Kiesling was the third largest fentanyl dealer in North America. His wife claims she had no idea Kiesling was a drug dealer. What's up? Are you Cassie Bantu? It's the second large bust in Kelowna involving fentanyl. In August of 2017, Cassie Bonthu and her husband, James Nelson, were charged with trafficking over the dark web. At the time, police called their alleged drug operation one of the most significant and sophisticated operations ever uncovered in Canada. The charges against them have yet to be proven in court. Kelly Hayes, Global News, Kelowna. In Health Matters tonight, a report from the B.C. Coroner's Service has some sobering new insights into our deadly opioid crisis. More than half of those who died from an overdose had reported a clinical mental health diagnosis or showed evidence of a mental health disorder. Almost half, 45%, reported pain-related issues, and about a quarter of the deaths involved people, primarily men, working in the trades or transport. Illicit drugs continue to kill three people a day in B.C. Almost 100 people died in August alone, although that was a 27% drop from the month before. It could be the breakthrough we've been waiting for, why some say this vehicle will transition us to the era of flying cars. Coming up right after the forecast, well, what a day it would be to be uh, flying out into the wild blue yonder tonight. Here's Christy with a look at our forecast. That's exactly right, Chris. Look at the morning fog out in the Fraser Valley. It wasn't as bad in Metro Vancouver today, but thick in some parts. This was near Mission. Thanks to Jackie for that one. And then it cleared, and we saw a crystal blue sky throughout the day, except for, yes, haze. And this is no different from the situation that we had through the summer with upper-level ridge trapping in the smoke. We still actually have fires burning across the province. And that fire, or smoke, I should say, is trickling out and it's being trapped in through the Fraser Valley, that looking towards Mount Baker, which is still a spectacular shot. But the haze is certainly accumulating and we could continue to see it be as such tomorrow as this ridge holds right through until partway through Saturday. And it could get even worse as more smoke comes out to the valley. This is the situation right now for the Air Quality Health Index, all at a low level, which means you can continue your regular outdoor activities. But we'll be tracking this closely 
closely for you, especially tomorrow as uh, that ridge continues. Temperature-wise, boy, was it nice. These are sort of uh, early September temperatures out in the Fraser Valley, low 20s, Hope hitting 25, same in the Soyuz area, and uh, that warmth being felt right up into Terrace at 18 degrees. The hot spot across Canada today was actually in Hope at 25.6 degrees. Just a spectacular day. Now, we are going to see a change. Tomorrow is going to be very similar. We'll see 24 degrees away from the water. Hope could hit 25, but then it's Saturday that we'll start to see that shift in the pattern. This ridge is going to travel to the north, and we're going to see cooler air shift in, especially by Sunday. So Saturday is our transition day, and then Sunday you'll definitely feel the chill in the air, and it will be a little wet. So for northern regions, a nice clearing for you. Lots of sunshine, temperatures on the rise. Look at Terrace, 20 degrees, for example. Down through the south, these are still above seasonal temperatures for this time of year. Hope, 24, 25 degrees potentially near the water and a little cooler in Metro Vancouver, but up to 24 degrees away from the water. Saturday will be a touch cooler because we'll start to see a bit more cloud late in the day, but you'll definitely feel the chill on Sunday. And in terms of that haze, I do expect it to last at least through the day tomorrow. And Chris, I think this is one of our best weather window photos ever. That is the fog this morning at YVR. Or yesterday morning, pardon me. Yesterday as a plane just disturbs it. Wow, very cool. Uh, Drivers will soon have an option to take their commute to new heights on the topic of flying. Pre-sales for the world's first flying car are set to begin next month. But there is a catch. The company that builds it, owned by Volvo, says the transition changes into a plane in less than a minute. It's completely street and air legal. The two-seater is expected to hit the market in 2023. So what is the catch? Well, you'll need a pilot's license to fly it. Another catch? No price tag on this baby yet. But some estimates are around half a million Canadian. Where would you land it? Like, if you had to go to the store... Just in the parking spot. Drive. You could drive it to the store, fly to Gabriola Island. Right. Right. That's very cool. You could do that. That would be pretty awesome. (laughs) But but let's wait until we actually see it built. Meet George Jetson. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Still waiting on jetpacks. Often cited as a key to success, goal setting for the Canucks. (laughs) It's goal scoring. Goal scoring. Well, if you can set up a goal, that'd be nice, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Gaudet and Ole Olevi sent to the minors today as the Canucks get closer to the opening night roster. Of those two, Gaudet was probably considered to have a better chance to make the main team this season, but he isn't quite there yet, according to the coach. We tried to put Adam in a, in a spot that he could succeed in, played him a lot. Uh, I like him. I think he's going to be a really good pro. I think he, he feels like he's just a little short, as bad as he wants to be here, and every player does. And, and that's what I like about this kid. He's, he works and works, and he's got good character, and, and he's, I think he's got a chance to be a Canuck for a long time. As for Ole Olevi, not a lot of people thought he could make the team coming out of camp, what with back surgery in the offseason. So what's the thought about him and his future as a Canuck? He still has some room to grow with his strength and conditioning and um, you know I, I think Ole's in a couple months with, with uh, some real good work down there he's going to be even better. 
not really Thatcher Demko isn't going anywhere yet because he's in concussion protocol. Hurt himself in Utah when the Canucks were getting ready to play the L.A. Kings. When he does recover, he'll go back to Utica. Didn't do enough in the preseason to dislodge Anders Nilsson as Jacob Markstrom's backup. Well, Brendan Gauntz was also sent to Utica today. This guy's looking more and more like a career minor leaguer than an NHLer. Antoine Roussel is not going to start the season because of a concussion. But what about some of the guys who are still left, who are looking to stay? Guys like Nikolai Godolbin, Brendan Leipzig. What are their chances of staying? Passes back for Brendan Leipzig, who cuts to the middle. Leipzig to the net. Scores! Brendan Leipzig has only played 64 career NHL games and at age 24 knows this is an opportunity he has to jump on. The fact he can create offense on a team starved for goals has to help his chances of making the opening day roster. I've already shown that I can play an offensive game with the puck and can create some offense, but uh, this camp has shown that I can... uh, play well without the puck, be reliable in the D zone and uh, just trying to gain the coach's trust, that's a big thing. If you uh, can't play all situations, start your D zone, stuff like that, uh, you're not going to play very much. So that's one thing, uh, just try to be responsible. Another bubble boy is Nikolai Goldobin. He's got the most upside, showing some offensive flashes. He did score eight times last year, but it's consistency and defensive responsibility that needs an upgrade for Goldobin to stick. Uh, there's a young man that's trying to find his game, and, and no one should be labeling, labeling him an, an elite offensive player in the NHL yet. He, he's yet to do that, but we think he has capabilities that can provide offense. I worked whole summer for that moment to, you know, to make a team and help them to, you know, be one of the part of them, and I'll do everything to take, you know, what it takes. Tyler Mott has maybe had the most surprising camp. He's played with high energy and with Anton Roussel injured, there is an opportunity for Mott to crack the roster. Tyler Mott shoots. Blocker saved by Cam Talbot. I mean, the, the job's not done. Uh, there's still a few more guys to go here, um, but my mindset and my game doesn't change. You know, if I get a chance to play here coming up Saturday, you know, it's the same game for me, playing with speed, get on pucks, get, get, uh, get pucks to the net and, and be reliable defensively. We put a lot of things into consideration when it comes to who we're going to pick for the final roster, but we are looking for offense for sure. Working against Mott, though, he's not a scoring threat and he doesn't have to clear waivers. Based on merit, he should stay, but life isn't always fair in the NHL. Canucks have to cut two more players and will likely do it by Sunday. Barry Delay, Global Sports. Okay, over the years, the NFL has put in various rules to give quarterbacks better protection. And it's a smart move. They are the most important players in the game, and they're often the stars of their team. But this isn't touch football. And the latest rules to save the quarterback have resulted in a rash of roughing the passer penalties. The new rules are hard to interpret because they are now calling guys for landing on top of the quarterback during a tackle. And defensive players like the Seahawks' Bobby Wagner are confused as to what is and what isn't within the rules. I don't think they can continue to kind of call the things the way they're calling them. I think it's kind of uh, becoming really, really hard for the defensive players to figure out a way to hit the quarterback. Here's another example of a roughing the passer penalty where the passer wasn't even roughed up. He was just pushed a little bit. Unbelievable. What is going on? Unbelievable. It's kind of... You know, being made fun of, you know, just how how soft it is for, you know, you know, the defensive. Like, we can't touch the quarterback. And I understand, you know, they're trying to make the game safer, but 
it's still a physical game. And, you know, you have to get the quarterback down. Too much MC Hammer, man. Can't touch this. <laughs> that is very true. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Squire. Here's Jay Duran now with a preview of Global News at 11, including some pretty cool video, Jay. Yeah, some great video, Chris. Two gray whales just casually putting on a show for one of our viewers. Brad Clark says he was on a fishing trip just off Pender Harbor when he noticed a blow in the water. He stopped and waited for a few moments. That's when the whales came towards his boat, then dipped under resurfacing over and over for about 10 minutes, putting on a great show. Great day to be on the water. More on that in the rest of the day's news when you join us tonight at 11. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Jay. And nearly 50 kilometers to explore. The grand opening of the Okanagan Rail Trail, almost all of it, next. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia? Yeah, this last weekend of September is a major celebration of arts and culture across the country. And for us, it's BC Culture Days with close to 500 events happening across the province. Free, inclusive and hands-on activities. And the stand-up for mental health comedy show is no exception. Laugh your head off Saturday night and support mental health programs while you're at it. So, you'll love your one-of-a-kind local and independent brands, then you'll love the Fall for Local market in North Vancouver. It's on this weekend, featuring over 85 vendors, free do-it-yourself workshops, and tasty, fun food trucks. Have you visited Noons Creek Hatchery in Port Moody? Drop by and participate in salmon hatchery duties, check out the lab, walk Benny Trail, and make an environmental necklace. Don't stop believing in the power of old school rock anthems because Journey and Def Leppard, they're coming to Vancouver. Two classic rock legends team up yet again due to popular demand and tickets are still available for next week's show at Rogers Arena. Tis the season for wine festivals and in the Okanagan, it's an 11 day affair kicking off today. Everything from wine tasting events to award receptions are happening, ending off with Cropped, featuring over 250 wines, live music and food. For more, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. Five Things to Do is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners. Plus, get the best roadside assistance. So the Okanagan Rail Trail officially opened to the public today. Well, most of it. The 49.5-kilometer trail, which extends from Coldstream to downtown Kelowna, has been in the works for years. But you can't bike from one end to the other just yet. Roughly six kilometers of the trail remains closed, and Megan Turcato explains why. It was a ribbon-cutting years in the making. Dignitaries and a large crowd gathered to officially open the Okanagan Rail Trail. I can't imagine what it's going to do for tourism. It's just wonderful. The multi-million dollar transformation of the former rail line between Coldstream and Kelowna into the pathway you see today was made possible in part by thousands of individual donations. It feels wonderful. The community came together in a big way and made this happen really quickly. And though this is the official opening, the path is already popular. Many have been walking down the corridor for months or even years. When we had an economic analysis done before the trail was built, um, we had some projections in terms of how much it would be used. Uh, we exceeded those five-year projections before the trail opened officially. But don't count on riding your bike all the way from Kelowna to Coldstream just yet. There's still the 6Ks that uh, are through Okanagan Banland and through Agricultural 
reserve land that uh, needs some more approvals from the province and from the federal government. Last week, the Agricultural Land Commission rejected plans for one part of the trail, citing concerns ranging from trespassing on farm land to equipment theft to public safety. This is great. Meanwhile, another portion is closed till it can be added to the Okanagan Indian Band Reserve by the federal government. So for now, all rail trail enthusiasts can do is keep enjoying the majority of the nearly 50-kilometer path that's ready for public use. Megan Tricato, Global News, Lake Country. Scenic. That is going to be very cool to ride from one end to the other eventually, we hope. Yes. Bit of a, bit of a shootout in Thursday night football. Yeah, it is. Uh, what is it, 28-17 to 17 now or something? Or yeah. 28-20? to 20? i got to look it up. 28-20, I think. Rams and... Uh, Vikings. But a lot of people are outside enjoying the last of these gorgeous fall evenings. Yes, take advantage of tomorrow. Tomorrow reaching 24 degrees away from the water. Plenty of sunshine, a little bit of haze again tomorrow as well. And Saturday will be a nice day as well, but uh, some cloud later in the day and not quite as warm, but I think we still have two pleasant days on the way. Chilly at night and in the morning though. Again. yeah, for sure. I was just going to say, it was in my head, Sophie's not here because she's at the Gold Heart Gala for Variety tonight, so we mm-hmm. wish her the very best, and thanks to everybody who gives to Variety and allows them to help all the kids they do. Thanks for watching us. Have a good night.